Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to John chapter 5 and reading for our text verse 40. John chapter 5 and verse 40. The Lord saying to the Jews that were about him, that were accusing him, not receiving him, and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. It is a word of reproof, but we could turn it and speak of it, taking off the first part and really put it as an invitation. Come to me that ye might have life. And we could change it from the reproof to a beautiful invitation. And it is in both ways that I want to look at it this morning. What is very evident here that there is no life outside of Christ. If we turn away from Christ, we have no life at all. The Lord says, If ye believe not that I am he, ye shall perish in your sins that in him is life, and he is the life and light of the world. The apostles, when in a couple of chapters, or next chapter actually, in chapter 6, and our Lord was insisting, except ye eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, ye have no life in you. And there were those that were saying, this is a hard saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And many, they walked back, they went no more with him. And the Lord said then to his disciples, Will ye also go away? And they said, To whom else can we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And our Lord, before that, he had clarified what he meant, not literally eating his flesh, drinking his blood. Remember those to whom you're speaking then, they'd followed him across the sea, not because they saw the miracles, because they did eat of the loaves and were filled. They were all the time thinking in a natural way, the same as in John 3, when our Lord was insisting on the new birth, except ye be born again. And Nicodemus says, how can a man, when he's old, be born again? And all the time he's looking to a natural interpretation, a natural way, instead of being spiritually born, instead of receiving not literal flesh and blood, but as our Lord said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And he makes it very, very clear where that life is. And so... We do not have life in ourselves. Our life must come from the Lord. And not just what the Lord has done at Calvary and we just help ourselves to it. Not just once and then we've got to use that store. But a continual coming to the Lord. The Lord speaks in John 15 
of himself as the vine, the living vine. I am the vine, ye are the branches. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it divide in the vine, neither can ye except ye abide in me. And it's a continual abiding. If we had a plant outside, a beautiful vine, and we thought we'd love that, would look good on our walls here, we'll just cut it off and we'll bring it in during service time and don't worry, outside that we'll kind of sit it on its root again and it'll be alright. It won't. It needs to abide. It needs to have that constant supply. And we think with our children... Do we give them a great supply of food and say, you've got your food for a week now, you help yourselves to your meals and you get your meals? It wouldn't work, would it? Especially the young children. And yet we give them their meal by meal. We think of the Lord with the children of Israel. He gave them the manna day by day. They couldn't store it up. They weren't allowed to. They had to be dependent upon the Lord constantly. And this is the life that is being set forth here in the Lord Jesus Christ. And a Christian in his walk, very often we try, we try to get life ourselves and sometimes we have this thought, well, we cannot come to the Lord unless we can repent, unless we've got right feelings, unless, uh, unless we are holy people and we want to make ourselves right and then we'll come to the Lord. Instead of thinking that all that we need must come from the Lord, we must go to him for that and receive it from him uh, as a poor sinner that has nothing in ourselves but everything in Christ. And so this is really the, 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 the message this morning is that life in Christ and coming to the Lord for that life, daily life of the Christian and we, 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 we've sung of it, and we, we, we need that life in our souls. No man, says our Lord, can keep alive his own soul. That life must come from the Lord. Some of you might know uh, Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, and might remember reading in the interpreter's house, uh, which there was a fire burning in the grate, and someone was pouring water upon it, but the fire didn't go out. And uh, Christian, he couldn't work out why this was. Why wasn't it extinguished? And then he was taken the other side of the wall, and there was this supply of fuel, oil poured on, that kept it going. There was a secret supply of life, and that is the secret of the people of God. Their life is hid with Christ. When Christ, says Paul, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him. And really one of the greatest tokens of being a child of God is to have that dependence upon Christ and Christ's life bubbling up in us right through our lives here below. There's some people that think, well, we can be with the Lord in heaven after death but they do not know what it is to have the life of Christ in them here below. He gives grace and glory. Those two are joined together. So I want to look to help us in our thoughts this morning. Three points. Firstly, the solemn condition of those to whom the Lord was speaking. And that is why the words of our text are spoken by way of reproof 
and he says, Ye will not come to me that ye might have life. And secondly, life in Jesus Christ, the source of life. And then thirdly, coming to the Lord for life. And firstly, we have the solemn condition of those to whom the Lord was speaking. Now, man, each of us, we very hard to see our own faults, to see our own condition. But when we're shown someone else, then we can recognise, we can see it. This is how Nathan brought the parable to David. David could see, and the poor man's lamb could see what another had done wrong, and then the Lord turned it round, and Nathan turned it round, and thou art the man. And then, uh, so... We often have, and, and when you think of how much in the Gospels and even really the Epistles are, are reproofs. It's dealing with, with errors that have risen and then the truths come up. You think of the beautiful chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 on the resurrection from the dead and it arises because there are some said amongst the Corinthian church that there is no resurrection. So it is in that way it's good for us to look at those that are highlighted. What was it? What was wrong with these here? Why was the Lord reproving them? What was their condition? Because what is so searching is that some of their condition, it was a religious condition. They weren't atheists. They weren't those that were completely disproving all the things of God and cast away Moses. They, they were religious people and that is very searching for us. Because when we make a profession, we come into the house of God and, and we read the word of God, we are making a profession too. But we could be resting in something completely wrong and not in Christ at all. So, so uh, this is, is very helpful for us to, to look. So if we see in verse 38, we have our Lord saying that this is part of their condition that his word was not abiding in them. That is the Father's word. He's been speaking of the Father that was bearing witness of him. And ye have not his word abiding in you, or God's word abiding in you. The word of the Old Testament scriptures was not abiding in them. And the Lord could tell that. And the reason, he said, for whom he hath sent him, ye believe not. Really, what he is saying is if the word of God abode in them, they would recognize and they would know him who was sent. The Jews, they knew not the day of their visitation. But we may ask ourselves do we have God's word abiding in us? Or does it just abide with us when we have a service? Or when we have our stated times of worship? Uh, perhaps in our closets even, or, or with the family, but as we're going about our work and as we are living our lives, his word is not constantly with us, abiding. That is, is not just a little while. Remember what we said about the vine. This is abiding. It is, it is constant. And then in verse 39... Uh, they had the scriptures. We have the scriptures too. He says, search the scriptures, for in them 
Ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So here they had the scriptures. This wasn't the Quran. This wasn't something else. This was the true inspired word of God. This was the scriptures of which the Lord said that they spoke of him. They could have the word that spoke of him and couldn't see him. And they didn't believe in him. And obviously, as the Lord's saying, search the scriptures, they did not search them either. They just read them, but did not search the scriptures. Now, how is that with us? We have the word of God, but how do we treat the word of God? How do we look at it? And do we search it? Or just we do we read it occasionally or have it read to us? Then in verse 40, our text. Ye will not come to me that ye might have life. They didn't feel their need of coming to the Lord. They didn't receive him. They didn't come to him for life. In fact, as Pharisees and like the Apostle Paul was, they thought they had good enough life. Our Lord told the parable of the Pharisee and the publican in the temple. Publican, God be merciful to me, a sinner. But the Pharisee, he told God all what he did, his tithes of all that he had, and that he was not like this publican. He had no need of anything. And the Apostle Paul, he said, I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Then he needed life from Christ. But all the time we think we've got life, we don't need life from Christ. It's those that know that in themselves they have no life. Well, though they weren't coming to the Lord. Do we have need of the Lord? Do we come to him? Are we like these here that will not come to him? And then we have in verse 42, the Lord saying that he knew them, that they did not have the love of God in them. Do we have the love of God in us? What about our brethren? John in his epistle says that he that loveth God loveth his brother also. How can God, a man say that he loved God and loved not his brother? We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren and the two are joined together we love him because he first loved us and the Lord here is testifying of this he knows his people he knows those who he have chosen in him before the foundation of the world he knew those for whom he was to suffer bleed and die he knew those for whom he prayed I pray not for the world I pray for them whom thou hast given me then we have that though they did not receive the Lord, they received others. They did receive some. He came in his Father's name, ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him he will receive. So it wasn't a matter that they were just not receiving anybody. It was very specific to him. How is it with us? 
Do we receive some men? Men that come with having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. The Apostle Paul often said this, that he said, especially Corinthian church, that they said his speech was contemptible and you know, they, they despised him. He had other ministers that were very eloquent and people went after them. And Paul, he says that, he said, not with the wisdom of man, lest I make the uh, power of God of none effect. He relied on the word preached being attended with power, not just by an eloquent speech or just a performance. And so these people, the Lord could see, they did receive some. And then in verse 44, another characteristic, they were seeking honour, but it was from one another and not from God. Something in us all, isn't it? Pride. Loves the praise of men. Pride is such a thing. It bubbles up all the time. It really, it really does. It, it just, just wants the praise of men. I mean, in our current way things are done you think of those public things on the internet even if it is a sermon and you might be looking oh how many hits and how many has listened to to mine and more than his sermon and yeah his pride is in us all in that way and so many are following that sort of thing they're looking for approval of men and how was our Lord rejected of men so very different. What was Jeremiah rejected of men? Very often the people of God is not what the world is going after. But these men, this is what he was picturing. They received <coughs> honour one of another. And then most solemnly in verse 45 and to the end, that they trusted in Moses. They trusted in the law. And yet they did not believe his writings. The very thing that they were trusting in, they said in, in John 9 to the man that was born blind, thou art his disciple, we are Moses' disciple. And they prided themselves in following after Moses. But our Lord said that you are teaching for commandments the traditions of men, laying aside the commandments of God. That was Moses. And this was the path that they were walking. They couldn't see it. They didn't realise it. They didn't know it. And are we the same? Are we walking in that way that we're priding ourselves in the law? Maybe, and those of you from Holland, you have the tables of the law up behind the pulpit or on the side of the church and you see them and they're read every Lord's Day. You might say, we, we know the law. But Paul, when he writes in, in Romans, he speaks of those that are saying the law, saying a man should not steal, but dost thou steal? A man should not commit adultery, but dost thou commit adultery? And he says it's a very common thing, just like the Jews here, priding themselves in Moses and in the law, and yet actually not fulfilling it. And not only were they not fulfilling it, but they weren't coming to the one that had fulfilled it and was to fulfill it and was to deliver them from the condemnation of it. They, in a way, Paul says, the law is a schoolmaster unto Christ. But how was it for them? They loved Moses, they loved the law, but 
It wasn't a schoolmaster unto Christ because they were satisfied they could either lay the law aside or make out that they were keeping it satisfactorily anyway. But the severity of the law is to convince of sin and to show men that they cannot be saved that way. So this was a solemn condition of those that the Lord was speaking to or those that were accusing him. And they were accusing him in the earlier part of the chapter because he had healed on the Sabbath day. They were accusing him because he had broken the law. They could cherry pick. They could pick what laws were that they could accuse them of breaking and, and what they didn't mind whether they broke them or not. And we are like that too. So that's that solemn condition. And may we be searched as to what is our condition and ask ourselves what it really is the condition of our soul. Because what is evident here, the Lord knew these people. He knew not only outwardly, but what was in their hearts. He says in verse 42, but I know you. And that applies to you and to me. The Lord saying, I know you. I know your secret thoughts, your life is all laid bare before me. You can hide it from the church, you can hide it from a preacher, you can hide it from one another. You can't hide it from the Lord. I can't hide it from the Lord. And we must give an account before the Lord at the last day. Well, secondly, I want to look at the life in Christ. And this specifically is the source of life and I want to uh, think going back right to the fall right back to when sin entered into the world and death by sin because understanding what life we have lost as to what life is to be gained and to be given by the Lord there are those that quote in John 10 the Lord says, I am come, that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. And it's a beautiful verse. But there is many that would interpret it in the way, well, they can just add the name of Jesus to their life and just live in this world as if there's no real change. It's still their home. They're not strangers and pilgrims. And they still live with its pleasures, its language, its delights. And there's no change. There's no new Creature, this is not your rest, our Lord says it is polluted. And like we said in the natural application of things with the food and with the new birth, so the life as well, those that are still dead in trespasses and sins, when they read life in Christ, they interpret it in a natural way. Interpret it not in a spiritual way. Remember when Paul writes to the Ephesians, he tells them in the first chapter of the life that they have, that they were quickened, ye who were dead, quickened and made alive. And he tells them the power, that the same power that raised up Christ from the dead was put forth in them to quicken them and make them alive, spiritually alive. And Man, at first, Adam and Eve, they had fellowship and communion with the Lord. They were made in the image of God and could walk with the Lord. And 
they were would have lived for forever. They no death, no suffering, no no sin in the world. But when sin entered into the world and death by sin, in that day, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And man, in one respect, he is still the pinnacle of God's creation. He is still fearfully and wonderfully made. He retains a lot of the image of God still in him, able to reason and able to do many, many things. And Paul, he tells the Corinthians that in the wisdom of God, that God through wisdom, that he made that man should not be able to find out God. He can do many, many wonderful inventions and many things, but to find out God he cannot. Spiritually he is dead. He cannot understand the things of God. He looks at his body and he looks at the miracle of creation. He sees such wonderful things. And we've spoken to those that we've uh, had scans of the body. They're professionals in medical things. And as soon as you speak to them and say, yes, what you're marvelling at is because this is the handiwork of God. And immediately you get a wall going up and a blank. And no, 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 no. And they cannot see. And you think this is part of the spiritual death. It is a judicial death. God has said that I am not giving man his natural ability to find me out. He is dead in that way. But Paul then goes on says that it had pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And it is a sovereign work of God to reveal his beloved son and to give life to a people that he will. And through the preaching of the word. But we must understand that when death entered into the world, it is a spiritual death, a complete alienation from God, a hatred to God, an enmity to God, a separation to God, and hence the, the love of idols, even amongst God's children, God's people, they like a God that they can make do what they want him to do, say what he want, they want him to say, go where they want him to go, turn a blind eye to all of their things that they're doing wrong, they just want a God like that, not a God who is a holy God, who gives a law and who demands perfection to that law, utter perfection. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The law is given that all the world might be brought in guilty before God. We are already in Adam under the sentence of death. We do, uh, Subject is here is life in the Lord. We are already on death row. We're already born in sin, shapen in iniquity. We're already dead naturally in that way. And dying, we shall die. Our bodies, like the grave outside, the second pastor of here, they shall be laid in the grave and unless the Lord comes again, then we shall meet him in the air. A man must die, but... What a difference that death is made when Paul says, absent from the body, present with the Lord, this mortal must put on immortality, uh, this uh, corruption must put on incorruption. Uh, and when Stephen, when he's being stoned, he looks up and he sees the Lord in heaven, uh, death has lost its sting. 
death is then a victory over sin and death and hell. And I know I've mentioned it before, but the late deacon over in Geelong in Australia, he spoke of his mother when he, she died. And she strengthened herself up on the bed and took hold on the, the covers and she said, victory, 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 and she laid down and died. And I thought, what a wonderful thing to realise actually you've got a foot each side of the grave. You realise that you're out of the reach of Satan, out of the reach of your own wicked heart. You've obtained the victory. You're on the threshold of heaven and nothing can change that. And just at that moment of departing, that is a wonderful victory. And I often pray, Lord, give me that blessing in, in, in departing. What a victory over sin and death and hell. And there are sometimes under the blessings of the Lord here that we might fear life more than death because the many departures, our sad sins and the failures and we, we, we fear lest uh, we, we, we be cast away. But in Christ we know we cannot. So when we think of life, life in Christ, it is bound up with what Christ has done upon this earth. And there are two, two main things that he did. Firstly, his life. His life as a real man. God and man in one person the eternal God, the same that made heaven and earth, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, they're all equal in divinity, equal in Godhead, the Lord humbling himself, and it comes out in this chapter, being obedient unto death, and yet being one with the Father. The Father, I and my Father are one. If you see me, you've seen the Father also. He is, this is the true God and eternal life, John says in John 1.5. And so his life had to be not the nature of angels, which is spirit only, not the nature of beasts, which is flesh only, but the seed of Abraham, we're told in, in Hebrews, which is both body and soul. And then he, he was made manifest in the flesh. And that is vital. Made under the law to deliver them that were under the law. Made of a woman. The seed of the woman shall bruise the serpent's head. That is the first promise. And it had to be so. The Old Testament saints, they wondered how that should be so. Job, he said, or it says in, in the book of Job, uh, that how can a clean thing come out of an unclean? And they puzzled with this. There were all the, all the sons and daughters of Adam that were born, they all were born in sin. How could there come one that was different to that and be holy and pure? But we know the overshadowing of Mary, therefore that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And we have the, uh, the answer to that. Uh, how Solomon wondered that uh, thou hast made heaven and earth, but uh, will God in very deed dwell upon the earth? They, they marvelled how that could be, Emmanuel God with us. And so our Lord's life, the miracles, as our Lord says in this chapter, uh, that uh, he, I have greater witness than that of John, the works which the Father hath given me to finish, 
those words, they bear witness of me. And our Lord's life was a perfect life, a life that was to be a righteousness to give to his people, to impart to them. Our lives are nothing but sin and disgrace, but the Lord has that to give to a believer which is a righteousness which is not their own, but is their own because it's given to them. We read in uh, Jeremiah chapter 23, this is the name wherewith he shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. And then in Jeremiah 33, this is the name wherewith she shall be called, that is the church of God, the Lord our righteousness. It is the surname, is a name that joins the Lord and the church together. Our Lord's life was absolutely vital, that it should be spotless, there should be not after the sins of Adam, but he should be one that was that nail in a sure place that was able to redeem and able to lay down his life willingly and freely. All of the sons of Adam, natural generation, we must die. We don't have a choice. We can't lay our lives down for another because our own lives, we must lay our lives down. But our Lord did not have to die. He said, I lay down my life. No man taketh my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And so our Lord's life is vital. His death is vital. Laying down his life for his people. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And our Lord at Calvary, he shed his blood. But he didn't just die, he rose again from the dead. And in the New Testament, it is inseparable that the life of the people of God is bound up with Christ's life. We do not worship a dead Christ. He is risen, he is not here. He has ascended up into heaven. And this is why the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 15, he said if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And our preaching is vain and we are liars because we have testified that he has. Your faith is vain. Those that have died, they've perished. And he he draws all of the conclusions if Christ be not right or if there's no resurrection of the dead. And so with our Lord Jesus Christ, he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Uh, The token that the sacrifice is accepted, uh, the sins of his people were put away. Our Lord says in John 10, I lay down my life for the sheep. Then he says to those that were accusing him round about, ye are not of my sheep. Therefore ye receive not my word. My sheep, they hear my voice, they follow me. And so we be very particularly through the word of God, it is particular redemption. It is a love that Lord had to each of his individual people as he laid down his life for them. And his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Deliver them from their sins, not just deliver them to heaven, but from the power and dominion of their sins here below. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. And so that life the Lord has to give to his people 
is a spiritual life, a born again life, newness of life. It is a life that is eternal life. And that eternal life begins at calling. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. It doesn't begin when we die, it begins when we are born again. When the Lord passes by us, when we are in our blood and bids us live and quickens us into life. That is the beginning. He quickeneth whom he will. And that life is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he can give that life because he has paid the debt. Because he has made the law honourable. We go back to the law of Moses. The first set of tables, they were broken at the bottom of the mount. The second set, they were unbroken. They were put in the Ark of the Covenant. That is the type of Christ. The law fulfilled. And the children of Israel were to look upon that. We have broken the law. He's fulfilled the law and made it honourable. And those that believe in him, those receive that righteousness that he has to give them. So the life is inseparable from Christ. He only has it to give because he has purchased his people, redeemed his people. Uh, He owns his people by gift. Thine they were, thou gavest them me. He owns them by purchase because they are his purchased people. He owns them because he has loved them. Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love and therefore with loving kindness I have drawn thee. So may we be very clear that there is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It is in God's provision and that provision is the Lord Jesus Christ. If we turn away from him, there is no other way of being saved whatsoever. It is only in the way that is set forth in the scriptures of truth through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's very, by in John's epistles, he says, If any man come unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. He that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. And is the doctrine of Christ is absolutely vital. If you have those come to you like Jehovah's Witnesses or Christadelphians or, or those that do not believe in the Trinity or do not believe in the divinity of Christ, you start there and you end there because if they are wrong in that, if you're wrong in Christ, you cannot be right in anything else. It's useless in, in, in speaking about anything else. It is the doctrine of Christ and our personal relationship with him and the life that we receive from him at the beginning and all the way along the way. I want to look then lastly at coming, coming to the Lord for life. This is what the Lord said to those of the Jews here that they would not do. He will not come to me that ye might have life. Now, of course, In our day, we cannot come literally. They could come literally to the Lord and see him and hear him. Uh, But in the gospel day, we cannot. But we have those beautiful illustrations 
of those that came and really we have the opposite of those first things that were spoken against these. We think of the uh, eunuch and Philip was sent by the Spirit to him to join himself to that chariot and what was the eunuch doing? He was reading the scriptures. The very scriptures that these Jews professed that they had but they couldn't see the Lord in, he couldn't either. Because Philip came and he said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He said, How can I except some man guide me? He bid him come up into the chariot and, and, and he is reading in, in Isaiah 53. He was led as a lamb sheep before his shearers is done, as a lamb uh, to the slaughter. So opened he not his mouth. And he said, Of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or some other man? He did not, he could not see Christ there, nor could these. They could not see Christ in the Old Testament. But what was the difference there? He was teachable. And he wanted him to come up. He wanted to hear. You know, there's a, it's a blessed thing when there is a teachableness. You know, when the Lord first began in my heart, when I was 19, and I was walking in rebellion at the threshold of casting away and walking away from the church entirely. And it was actually through a Jehovah's Witness coming to the door and arguing with them. And afterwards the Lord saying, you know nothing of what you have said in your heart. He has come to, with the idea of converting you. You've condemned him, but you and I was just like these, with an outward knowledge of a brought up religion, but nothing in my heart. And that changed it absolutely immediately. It brought me as a guilty sinner and I tried to attend every service I could, read the word of God, anyone that would tell me the things of God. The difference between being unteachable and teachable, not having an appetite and having an appetite, that is life. It was four years before I was baptised, before I brought to full assurance of faith. But the Lord opened mine ears. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so when that is done, I mean, before that, whatever I heard, well, I didn't hear much in the chapel because I just turned off. I just planned the week ahead. Uh, but when the ear is opened, then, then there is that direction where to go for life. Immediately you try to seek it in self. You try to find some repentance, some good work, something to accept, that God will accept us. You try to do your best. You try to uh, earn your way to heaven and, and that God will approve you. Instead of coming to God as a sinner, God be merciful to me a sinner. Instead of coming to one with nothing, either him rider, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, foul I to the fountain fly. It is a realisation that we have no life ourselves, but we come to the Lord for it. And in one sense, those that are dead in sin, they never really ask for it because they don't know their need of it. And they are dead. You, you could say what you like, they don't hear. But when the Lord does open the ear, when he shows you something of your sinnership, something of your need, something where you come short, never despise that. 
Never think, well, God requires too high of a standard. I can never attain to that. No, we can never do. We never meant to. But that's why our Lord Jesus Christ came. And it is coming to the Lord for life. Asking of him, ye will not come unto me that ye might receive that life. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. They ask life of him. And the Lord gives that life. You know, I've often said this, is a, in the chronological way of the scriptures, you get John 3 and the insistence on the new birth. You get John 4 and he gives you a real life example of the new birth. Not in one instance, but several you get the woman at the well. And one thing she knew about Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And the Lord draws her out. She wants this living water. Uh, and the well is deep. There is nothing to draw. And the Lord revealed himself to her. That was the new birth for that woman. Drawn by the Lord and drawn to know him. He told her specifically, I that speaketh unto thee am he. But that's not what she said to those of the Samaritans. Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And the Lord used that. Thou God seest me. And that conviction the Lord does see us, does know all about us. Has the Lord done that for us? made us open before him. One day we shall stand before his throne, but here below he'll make those who come for life from him to know that he sees them. And they stand before him and they know him and he knows them here. And they're searched by it. And sins that they never thought God knew or that they thought were dead and buried are brought to light. Paul says, when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. That's when he really was brought to be as a sinner. The Lord said he came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That he, uh, They that are whole, they need not the physician, but they that are sick. And when it's coming to the Lord, if you feel that sickness of sin, if you feel the evilness of your heart, if you feel that lack, not able to repent, you can't change and turn from your sins and from your way. You tried, you make resolutions, you make promises and you cannot do it. Then this is the word that the Lord has for his people. Come unto him for life. You imagine if you could do all that yourself. You could repent, you could pray, you could command a nice hunger and a love to the brethren and a love to the Lord and obedience to the Lord and you had faith and you're a very humble person. What would you need the Lord for? But if you had none of those and you groaned under a proud heart, you struggled with a lack of faith and you tried to pray but you couldn't pray, and you so lack that ability to obey the Lord or to love his people and no righteousness of your own. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. And these are they that we can turn this. The word of our text, instead of reproof, ye will not come to me that ye might have life. 
the beautiful invitation, come to me that ye might have life. How do we come? Come in prayer. Come before the throne of God and ask him simple prayers to ask of the Lord for life. Ask of the Lord to give those specific things. You feel a lack of love, ask him for that. You feel a lack of faith, you ask him for that. You can't obey, ask him. And keep at his throne. The Lord will do that in his people so that instead of going far off from him, they come to him. You know, Joseph, when he wanted his brothers to keep coming back, he made sure he put money in their things or he put the cup there. He made sure they kept coming back. And the Lord will do it to you and I. And you do it so that we have that communion and fellowship with him and that our life is bound up with the Lord. We can say then with the Apostle Paul, we, 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 Paul, he says, I laboured more abundantly than them all, yet not I but the grace of God that was in me. The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And he was in no doubt of where that life was. He couldn't forget how he once was. And the Lord met with him on the Damascus Road. Or may we, if the Lord has awakened us to a need and we feel our poverty and emptiness, May we come to the Lord in this way and our prayers be very urgent and we do we, we like, dear Jacob, I will not let thee go except thou bless me and that we keep coming and may the Lord bless us then with instead of these things said against us, it may be as found you out this morning, it's turned about for you and you've had those blessings and favours from the Lord himself, the life of God from our Lord.